You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Uh, glad that you are here. So Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And here's what I want to do. It's a little bit different than how we typically start. But um, uh, just to kind of get a visual of where we're going, I need some volunteers to come up here today. And uh, since the disciples were between the ages of 15 to 20 years old, roughly, um, I need several volunteers that are between that age. So do we have anyone between 15 and 20? That's not you. Kenny, sit down. Uh, yeah, okay, come on up. Yeah, come on up. Between the ages of 15 and 20, and you don't mind... I'm, I promise it's not going to be anything crazy. Uh, just come up here. Yeah, maybe just stand. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for coming up. Um, let's see. Yeah, just, you stand right here like this. Hey, how's it going? Is this awkward? Hey, good to see you, man. Let's see you stand right here. Okay. All right. This is so much fun. It's kind of like whenever I used to be a youth director. Did you know that Robert? Where's Robert at? Did you know I used to be a youth director? I was for like, uh, for about three months and I broke one of the kids' arms in the youth group. And so, Chuck Nishwin, are you here? Chuck, we appoint you as an elder last week, Chuck, and you're not here today. Lindy, are you in here? What are they doing? Oh, they're serving in Fellowship Kids. Of course, that's amazing. It was actually Chuck's kid's arm that I broke. It was in a dodgeball tournament, very intense. But anyways, um, thank you guys for serving. So here's what I want y'all to do, okay? Here's what I want y'all to do. Um, do you see this little uh, chandelier right here, right here in the middle? I just want you to look at it, like where it's connected to the ceiling. Just like keep your eyes right there. Just keep looking up at it. Don't move. I'm not going to try to trick you or anything, but just like hold that posture. Don't take your eyes off of it. Keep looking, okay? And while you're looking there, everybody else, all right, you look with me for just a moment at Acts chapter 1, and I want you to look in verse 9, okay? And I want to read this as these guys are continuing to look up. It says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And when Jesus had said these things, as they were looking on, Jesus was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? For this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now, as you look here, in light of what we just read, think about this. This is the way the very first scene in the book of Acts ends. Jesus is ascending into heaven, and now here are his disciples, and they are just standing there like this, and they are staring into the sky. And basically what happens is God sends these two angels, and he comes up to these disciples, and the angels look at them and basically say this, like, hey, what are you doing? Like, why are you frozen like this? Why are you just standing there? Why are you standing there just staring into the sky? Now, with that image... And that question in our mind, I want to invite our volunteers to go back and find their seats. So give them a round of applause, if you will. Thank you, guys. And I want to invite you to look with me again in Acts chapter 1. And let's figure out what has happened that has led to this point where God would send angels and basically say, Hey, what are you doing? Like, snap out of it. What, what's happened here? So Acts chapter 1, 
starting in verse 1, um, Luke is the author of this book, and he writes the following. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, which is, does anybody know? What was his first book? Yeah, the Gospel of Luke. So the book of Acts, so you know, it was actually a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. So the Gospel of Luke is a prequel, this is the sequel. So he says, in my first book, I wrote about all that Jesus, and then listen to this language, all that Jesus began to do and teach. So in my last book, what, what Luke wants you to see in my last book, it's called the Gospel of Luke. I dealt with all that Jesus began to do, and now in the book of Acts, I'm going to talk to you about all the stuff that Jesus wants to continue to do now through his church. So the first book, you got to get this, the, the prequel, the Gospel of Luke, it is all about the stuff that Jesus started, all the kingdom work he started, but now the book of Acts is going to be all about the kingdom work that Jesus wants to continue to do through people like you and me, which is what... Luke's going to go on to say, in my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, verse 2, until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. So it's interesting to me that, that even if you saw Jesus physically get out of the grave, there were still people that were like, I don't know about this. And so Jesus over and over again had to prove himself to these people. So if you're here and you're ever like, man, if I could just be there physically, I would never doubt. That's not true. People doubted all the time, even though they saw Jesus get out of the grave. And so he had to physically, tangibly, in real time, show them over and over like, hey, I really am the resurrection and the life. So that's what's happening here. It says he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, I don't have time to go into this, but it's fascinating that Luke starts the book of Acts talking about the kingdom of God. And then if you went to the very last verse in the book of Acts, Paul is in Rome and he's preaching about the kingdom of God. So this is a very important topic. It's central in Jesus's ministry and it's central in the book of Acts. It's a thread that runs all the way through chapter through chapter. And you'll pick up on that as we go through this book. Look in verse four. Now, while they were staying with Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. There's a whole theology I could give you on the Holy Spirit, but I don't need to because Jonathan Dodson did that for us last week. And if you didn't hear that, be sure and go listen to our podcast. It was incredible on who the Holy Spirit is. Verse 6, so... When they, the disciples, had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, if you know anything about the disciples, you know that within the three years they spent with Jesus, they said a lot of dumb stuff. But this might be the dumbest thing they ever said. Because basically what's happening here is these men should have known after spending three years with Jesus that from the beginning of time, God's plan has always been to bless the little nation of Israel for the purpose of being a blessing to the nations. That's always been his goal. And yet despite this being God's message all the way back from Genesis 12, thousands of years ago, and despite the fact that Jesus has told them this, they still ask this question, hey, is now the time, Jesus? where you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. In other words, is now the time where you're basically going to make Israel amazing? Like, is now the time that you're just going to make us powerful and prosperous and just make our tiny little tribe better? I mean, this is a really inward-focused question 
that reveals the fact these disciples still don't really get what Jesus has been trying to do to them and through them. And yet because Jesus has the patience of Job, I mean, because he created Job, um, he doesn't bash them, he doesn't guilt them, he doesn't shame them, but instead in verse 7, he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, like, I'm not going to talk about this with you again. Like, we're not going to get into this. And so, um, but if you look in verse 8, and if you underline your Bible, I underline uh, passages in my Bible, this would be a great verse to underline or circle. It is the key to understanding the book of Acts. It's actually the table of contents for the entire book of Acts. Jesus says, I'm not going to talk to you about this whole thing. of just making Israel great again for the sake of being great. But what I do want to talk to you about is this reality. Verse 8, you are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my, what's the word? witnesses. Now, this is a legal term, the word witnesses, and it was used in the court of law in the first century, and it refers to what you think it would refer to. When a person would come up to the witness stand, and they would open up their mouth, and they would testify to what they have seen and heard. And according to Jesus, he says, look, whenever you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, this is who you will be. You will be my witnesses. Jesus says, you are going to receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are going to get a whole new identity. This is who you now are. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. You are my witnesses everywhere that you go in the everyday stuff of life. The Apostle Paul would go on to say, and obviously he'd be very uh, aware. Apostle Paul is actually a key figure in the book of Acts. We'll read a lot about him and talk a lot about him. But one of the churches that he would plant in the book of Acts, he would go on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I, I want to just read this to you. I think we can put it on the screen. But he says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. For the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and has now given us the same ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling to the world, uh, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through you, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul says, look, whenever you trust in Jesus... In his life, in his death, in his resurrection, you become a whole new creation. You receive a whole new identity. You are no longer a sinner in the eyes of God, but you are a saint. And sure, you still sin, but you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So when God sees you, he sees the perfection of Jesus which means he loves you perfectly right now. He's never going to love a future version of you more than he loves the version of you right now. And he's never loved anybody more than he loves you because he loves you with the love that he loves Christ. You are, when you trust in Christ, redeemed, you are forgiven, you are power washed. You are now a beloved child of God. You are accepted and you are loved for all eternity. And Paul says, you are now an ambassador. You are a witness. You are a missionary. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. Where he essentially says to the disciples, look, I'm about to leave you. I've been telling you I'm about to leave you. I'm about to go back and meet my father. And when I leave, you are going to receive power. The word that is used here for power is the Greek word dynamos, which is where we get our English word from, dynamite. 
So what God is literally saying, or what Jesus is literally saying here, whenever I leave, the dynamite of God is going to be placed inside of my disciples, inside of my followers. Or in the words of Paul in Romans 8, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is going to reside in you. And not just so that you can sit back and say, look how amazing and impressive my life is, but so that you can go and you can, as my witnesses, change the world. So that this message of an empty tomb, this message of the kingdom of God, this message of joy and peace and life can now explode and burst forth out of you and into the world. You see, because this good news message cannot be contained in Jerusalem, Jesus says this message, look, it is going to, when you get the Holy Spirit, it's going to gain traction in Jerusalem, but then it's going to move beyond Jerusalem and into Judea and even into Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I uh, brought this with me um, from my house. This is my daughter's bathing suit from last summer. Um, And apparently it was designed by scientists from MIT because her father could never figure out how to get it on just right. It's like either this strap was always like gagging her and strangling her. It's like around her neck. I got, you know, or it's like, or it's like I would put the front uh, in the back. I would turn it around. So it became like a a bazillion cut thong, basically. (laughs) And so, um, like my daughter's little cheeks would just be hanging out, you know? And so it was so cute. She's six years old. And so, um, it was adorable. We loved it. She loved wearing it. A lot of days she just put it on. She's like, if we put it on, like maybe my parents would just like go, like put me in the sprinkler or whatever else. And so really cute. But here's the thing. Now that my daughter is seven this summer, do you think she's going to be able to wear this exact same bathing suit? No, uh, of course she won't be able to. Right. And, and, and why is that? Because we all know, for those of you who've ever had a child, that they basically wear something for six minutes and then they outgrow it, right? I mean, that's just the way that it works. They, they, they grow, they keep growing, they keep expanding, and therefore, right, whatever sort of form that you try to put on them, eventually, they're going to grow beyond that. And now listen, this is really important, you got to get this. Because what you're going to see in the book of Acts and what Jesus is hinting at here in verse 1 is this reality, this truth that the gospel is an ever-expanding reality. It is a message that was never meant to be contained or kept inside of its little Jerusalem box or little container. Right, The gospel by its very nature is meant to reach more people. By its very nature, it grows and it expands and it spreads so that every man, woman, and child can experience in Christ the life that they are longing for. And what's amazing to me is that in Acts chapter 1, what Jesus says, he looks at his disciples and he says, Now, look, disciples, through you, through my flawed, imperfect, sometimes impossibly slow-witted, average, normal disciples, whenever you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be the ones that take the message forward. You're going to be the ones to expand and spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem, beyond its little container, and ultimately into the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus is getting at right here in verse 8. And yet, in response to all of this, in response to being told that this is who you are and how you're going to change the world, in response to that, what do the angels find the disciples doing? Just staring, just staring, just looking, kind of frozen in their tracks. And as a result of that, right, the, the angels come and 
and ask this question, right? Like, why are you just standing there? Why are you just standing there? Why are you just standing there? What are you looking at? What, why are you still staring into the sky? Jesus has been telling you he's going to leave you. And that when he leaves you, he's going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to send you his spirit so that you can be sent on his mission. So what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you still standing there looking into the sky? This question is actually meant to be a gentle rebuke to the disciples. It's the angel's way of nudging and saying to them, Hey, it's time for you, disciples, to now get outside of yourself. It's time for you to get out of your comfort zone. It's time for you to stop looking up into the sky and just waiting for Jesus to come back and tidy up your own little life and your own little tribe. It's time for you now to embrace your whole new identity as a missionary, as a witness who has been sent by God to testify to who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And the reason I think this is so important for us today is because I believe it's the same thing Jesus is saying to you and to me. If we can be honest, we too, I think, can be like the disciples in this story in that we too can make the gospel all about me. We can make the church all about me. Man, I'm looking forward to that next sermon series. Or I'm looking forward to that next program or that next, that next workshop. Because basically, I just think that's something that's going to make my life better, period. It's so easy for us to begin to believe the lie that the church is more like a cruise ship than a battleship. To believe the lie that the church is really about me coming to a place where I can be entertained and served and fed rather than the church being a place where we see in the scripture where we partner together with a group of spirit-filled disciples for the purpose of continuing the kingdom work that Jesus has started. And as a result of that, I think because this is a temptation for all of us, there are still many people who are in our city right now who do not know the real resurrected King Jesus, and if they were to die today, they would spend an eternity in hell. I was talking with... A man uh, three weeks ago through text that I actually lived beside for several years. He was my neighbor. And we were having a gospel conversation. And he said to me, hey, Jared, look, every religion's the same, right? I mean, they're all worshiping the same God. Um, and I said, actually, no. I said, you know, Christianity is actually the only message in the world, the only religion in the world that teaches you that, that rather than us having to work our way to God, God has worked his way to us. Like, do you realize that? And what he sent back absolutely shocked me. I showed it to my wife when he sent the text. He sent a message back right after that. And he says, which religion is Christianity? Now, this is a guy who grew up in Paragould, Arkansas. And he actually lives, lived for 25 years, five doors down from a church building. Let me ask you this. How is that possible? How is it possible that you can grow up in a city with a church building on every corner and you live five doors down from one of those church buildings, and still you actually don't even know what the message of Christianity is. How is that possible? And I think the reason it's possible is because it is very easy, guys, and please hear this. It is very easy for us to love what happens in here, to enjoy going to an MC meal, to enjoy listening to some worship music, to enjoy diving into our heart issues and learning our Enneagram number and all that within the context of a DNA and forget that all of that exists, not simply to make your lives better, 
but it exists so that you can be better equipped to shine the light of the sun into the darkness. The truth is today, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a witness. This is who you are. You are an ambassador for Christ. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, either a missionary or an imposter. If you have been saved, you have been now sent on a mission. In light of that this morning, before we end, I want to say a couple things about that mission. And the first thing I want to say is this. Anybody, anywhere, anytime can witness to the saving grace of Jesus. Like this isn't for special people. This isn't just for pastors. This isn't for varsity Christians. This isn't for people who have special like theological degrees. This isn't just for extroverts or people who have the gift of evangelism. This mission, mission that Jesus is sending us on is for all sorts of totally normal average people, which is what we see in the book of Acts. Right? The reason that we have the gospel today, the reason we're here, is because these normal disciples of the power of the Spirit took the gospel to the ends of the earth. Like That's why we're where we are. And therefore, as we look at them, as now the mission continues, we're reminded anybody, anytime, anywhere can witness to the saving grace of Jesus. From out of that, I would say two things. There's two ways that we witness. We witness in our works, and we witness in our words. We witness in our works. In John 14, 12, Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. What are the works that Jesus did? Healing, teaching, and authority, right? Showing compassion, serving him, washing feet. You will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. In other words, because I am going to ascend to the Father, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit so that you can now be people of integrity, so that you can have the character of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control, so that you can take healing forth, so that you can advance the kingdom of God, so that you can live in such a way that actually demands a gospel explanation. I was talking with, um, I was with our missional community, I guess it was a couple months ago now, we were moving one of our refugee families are moving into a new house. We're helping to move furniture. And Tamra, who is the, the father in this family, he looked at me. And I think Brian Wilkins was with me or maybe Philip Greer. And Tamra looks at me and he says, Pastor Jared, he says, your life is your best sermon. What did he mean by that? Well, he knows I'm a pastor and he knows I'm a Christian. He knows what I believe. And he was looking at me and saying, when I look at your life, I see something about you that I don't have. It's something that testifies to what you are saying, right? Works matter. They, they, they matter, but listen, works alone are not enough. Works alone are not enough. I think of Paul's words in Romans chapter 10, where he says in verse 14, How then will they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? There's the title for our series, unless they are sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. Words without works are confusing. If you're like 
track bombing people or standing on a street corner and preaching the gospel, but you look and act nothing like Jesus. You're constantly complaining, gossiping. Life is just terrible. You're bitter. You're angry. I mean, you just, you treat your spouse and your kids like crap. I mean, like, like, and you're out preaching the gospel. That confuses people. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, you talk about this generous God, but you're not generous at all. Talk about how gracious God is. You're the last person I see to be gracious, right? Right? Words without works are confusing. But listen to this. Ultimately, Works without words are damning. They are damning. I think back to that line I shared a few weeks ago from St. Francis of Sissy that people quote all the time where he says, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. That's actually a misquote. He didn't really say that. And even if he did, it's still wrong. Because the gospel literally means good news. It is by definition a message that you are meant to pass on to the world, which means at some point, guys, at some point, you are going to have to tell people about Jesus. Not just move furniture or mow their yard and think, you know, maybe if I'll mow it now the 17th time, they'll just look at it and be like, wow, like I repent of all my sins and give my life to Jesus because that was amazing. Right? Like at some point, we have to tell people about Jesus. For some of you this morning, maybe you've been convinced that if you just live a good enough life that you can forgo a gospel conversation entirely, and that people around you will almost just magically come to know Jesus because of your good actions and selfless character. And you need to know today that nothing could be further from the truth. I was reading uh, a book by Donald Whitney this past week, and he was talking about how one of his friends came to know Christ at a revival. And on Monday, he went to tell his boss that, hey, I've given my life to Jesus. And his boss looked at him and said, oh, that's great. I've been praying for you for five years that you would come to know Christ. And the employee looked at him and said, are you serious? Like, you're the reason I almost didn't decide to follow Jesus. And the boss was so confused. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I've tried to live a model Christian life around you for five years. And the guy said, that's exactly the point. You did that without ever telling me about Jesus. And so I thought, if you can just live this great life and a happy life without Christ, then I probably could too. And the point of the story, I mean, it's pretty simple, the point that Whitney's trying to make. It's this idea of, listen, if we are going to live as a witness, we witness with our life, but we also must witness with our lips. Yes, we commit to, to doing good works with our hands, but we must also make a commitment to sharing good news with our mouths, which means, and I just want to make sure I'm clear on this, you actually need to learn the gospel and then verbally, audibly, out loud, speak the gospel to other people around you. And again, I'm all about good works. Um, I love that verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, where Peter says, Live such good lives among the pagans. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, though they accuse you of not being cool, though they accuse you of being closed-minded, they will still see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits you. I love that line. I love that line. Live such good lives among the pagans. In other words, live shoulder to shoulder with people who are far from God. Can I tell you a secret? You ready for this? Listen, let me tell you about 80% of evangelism is you just showing up regularly in the lives of people who don't know Jesus. Going to the same restaurant and sitting at the table where you get the same waitress. Sitting by that same parent at the ball game rather than just kind of like unintentionally just picking where you want to go or kind of sitting on the corner by yourself. Working beside that same man in the factory, just regularly showing up in the lives of people who are far from God and then being intentional about serving them and loving them and listening to them as you look forward to opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. This is what it means to be a witness. It involves your works and your words. Now, all that being said, um, 
As many of you know, at the beginning of the year, we challenged our church to have gospel conversations with a thousand people in the year 2019, to talk with people about who Jesus is and what he's done for you, to talk with those who are not currently following Jesus or not involved in the local church, right? To, to have gospel conversations with a thousand not yet followers of Jesus. And I am uh, pleased and excited to announce um, that we made this challenge, what, the second week in January? And as of February 28th, as a church, we have recorded and shared the gospel with 258 people who do not know Jesus. Yes, well, it was right. Like, we should celebrate that. <clears throat> we should celebrate that because, listen, though I personally, here's what I'm praying for this year. I'm praying that we see one baptism per missional community this year. That's what I'm praying and asking God for. Um, but even if we do not have one single baptism, like, that's a win. Do you realize that? Like, that is a win because what this tells us is that gospel seeds are being planted. Um, as some of you know, and some of you, like Kenny, like to tease me about, I love to garden. Okay, Kenny tells me, he's like, you're going to make a great old man one day, Jared. And so I love to garden. And last year, I was planting cucumber seeds in our raised garden bed and felt like it was perfect soil for it. And then I had a few extra seeds left over, and so I just kind of threw it away, like cast them to the side in my uh, landscape in my backyard. And within a couple months, what's interesting is the seeds in our raised garden bed didn't produce one single cucumber, did it? But all of a sudden, like one day, I'm going to like weed eat or mow the yard or whatever, and I go around where the landscape is, and, and, and the, where I threw the seeds aside in my landscape, it is producing so many cucumbers and so big, like we can't even harvest all of them. And I didn't touch it. I didn't water it. I didn't do anything to it. I literally threw the seeds down and left it alone. And as I, as I thought about that, especially in a lot of our texts today, I thought about Mark 4.26, where Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is like a man that scatters seeds on the ground, goes to bed, wakes up, and then he finds that the seeds have grown and he doesn't know how. Like, guys, that's the way the mission works. That's the way the kingdom of God advances. The bad news is today, the bad news is we cannot make the gospel grow inside the hearts of someone else. But the good news is we don't have to because that's the Holy Spirit's work. Our responsibility as a church is not to create gospel conversions. Our responsibility is simply to cultivate gospel conversations. That's our goal. And, and so listen, the pressure is off today, guys. The pressure's off. Like, just breathe a sigh of relief. I was in my devotional this morning. I was reading Psalm chapter 3, verse 8, that says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to God. So all we need to do is be faithful in sowing seeds and trust that when we do, though some of these seeds will fall on rocky soil, though some of the seeds will be choked out by the cares of the world, some seeds will, in fact, as we continue to scatter them, will take root and through the power of the Holy Spirit will produce in its hearers the fruit of eternal life. And so that being said, I, I don't say this enough, but on behalf of the pastors, I just want to say this, well done. Well done. We currently, right now, we have... Uh, 390 men, women, and children in missional communities. It's the most we've had involved in missional communities. And each week we get reports of you guys caring for the poor, serving refugees and recovering addicts and single moms and veterans and, and people in the foster care system and youth sports and the list goes on. And what's amazing to me is that we as a church are not only sharing or showing good news, we are sharing good news. 
We're not only committed to gospel demonstration, but gospel proclamation. You guys are, according to the number we just saw, you are embracing your identity as a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so, well done. I just want to encourage you as a church, keep up the good work. I think of that verse in Galatians 6 where Paul says, Do not grow weary in doing good, because in due season you will reap a harvest if you do not stop. Some of you right now, you don't see a harvest in your life. It's winter. Like there is no harvest. But if you will not stop, if you will keep at it, I'm telling you, the harvest is coming. It's coming for you. It's coming for your MC. It's coming for people in the city in and beyond if we will just keep at it. Faithfully living as a witness. Scattering the seeds of the gospel. Every week, we partake of communion. Because Jesus says that we need it. And this week specifically, here's what I want you to think about. As you come and take communion, you remember this, that before Jesus ever sent us into the world, he was sent into the world for you and for me. To come and do for us what we could never do for ourselves. To come and to lay down his life so that in him we could find the life and the love and the forgiveness and the fulfillment that we are longing for. And it is only, please hear me, it is only from that place and that motivation will you ever be compelled to go and share the gospel with others. Not as a means of trying to earn God's love, but because you know you already are loved. For some of you this morning, the reason you need communion is because you have not been living as a witness. You have not been living as a missionary. You have begun to believe the lie that the church is for you. The gospel is just for you and your own individual relationship with Jesus. You have not been getting outside of your comfort zone. You have not been seeking to advance the kingdom of God through the power of the Spirit. For some of you, you have been shrinking back in fear. You care more about what people think about you than what God says about you. For some of you, you are apathetic. For some of you, the gospel has become somewhat like old news to you. You realize we cannot not share good news. I don't have to do evangelism training with you. If the gospel is a good news to you, you're going to share it. And for some of you, the gospel is no longer good news. And therefore, as a result, some of you sit here today and you feel like your faith is weak and feeble and like you are just going to be limping to the table. The table exists for people that limp to the table. It exists for those who today hear this message and say, like, man, that has not been me. Like, I have actually not been faithful to what Jesus has called me to. And that's why we take communion each week, to remember the wonderful reality that you come as you are, and that you are loved, not for what you do, but for what Christ has done for you. And so as you come and take your communion today, here's what I want to encourage us to do as a church. Confess any fear of man that maybe you have that has kept you from being a witness. Confess and repent of any spiritual apathy that you have. And then listen, taste the forgiveness that is yours in Christ Jesus. As you take that bread and you dip it in the juice, and then listen, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Ask God to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit today. God has given you a spirit, not of fear and timidity, but of power. 2 Timothy 1.7. If you have fear and timidity, ask for God to fill you again afresh with the Holy Spirit so that the gospel can become explosively alive in your heart. And so you can begin to live truly, I'm telling you guys, a vibrant and exciting and somewhat even unpredictable life of a witness to Jesus Christ to those around you in works and in words. With that in mind, I would like you to stand with me.
And I want to say this to those who are here today and maybe are not a follower of Jesus. Rather than you coming and receiving of communion, we would encourage you today to receive of Christ. As we try to say often, we don't have many closed doors to you. If you're a non-Christian here, we're so glad that you're here. Fellowship is a place where you can belong before you believe. But for those of us who take of communion, it's a symbol of hope of what we've already placed our faith in, in Christ. And if you're here and you want to know more about that today, I'll be standing up here in the front. Adam will be here. We would love to talk with you or to pray with any of you. If you have any prayer needs, it's a great delight and privilege to us to pray over you with whatever it is that you are dealing with. And so with that in mind, I'm going to pray. We'll take of communion. Remember, we have two stations in the front, two in the back, a gluten-free option for you to my back left. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for each person who is here today. I thank you for, um, and your grace is so good, the fact that we just took our last breath is your grace. Our hearts are beating because of your grace. You were so gracious to us even before we ever sinned by creating this world and then sharing your goodness with us. You're such a good God, and in you is our salvation and our satisfaction. And I pray for anyone who is here right now who does not know you in a personal way, who is not in a relationship with you, but you right now, Holy Spirit, open their eyes. We cannot. We don't have the faith in ourselves. We need you to ignite that. So I pray that, Father, you do, that you create that spark in the heart of the person right here, right now, God, who if they were to die tonight, they would spend eternity in hell, and help them to realize that that is only the only thing that is separating them from you is their own pride, their own belief that maybe they're too good for you or they're too bad for you. Jesus, your grace is sufficient for those of us who are too bad and too good. We need you, Jesus. And so I pray that even for those of us who are followers of Christ, that we see that actually we need you more now than ever before. We don't need you less. We need you more. And I pray that as we come, we take a communion to remind us that you are more than enough for us. You are everything that we need. Fill us again afresh with your spirit so that we can be sent out to take the gospel forward. And I do pray, God, for the person right now who's sleeping in, the person who maybe is religious but lost, the person who is in addiction, the person who is continuing to, to, to struggle with depression and loneliness and anxiety, and they're fighting, and they're trying to find life and all sorts of things apart from you, that you would, God, use us to be sensitive to your spirit and take us into those places and to share the best news on the planet so that they can be made alive in you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.